0: Back to the Frontier Freedom Hour with Jeff Hunt, sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Here's Jeff Hunt.
1: Hi, friends. Joining us in studio, Dr. David Murphy, Dean of the School of Behavioral and Social Sciences for the College of Adult and Graduate Studies at Colorado Christian University. All right, 25 years with the Air Force. What did you do with them?
0: Uh, About half of the time was spent uh, flying fighters, F-16s, and the other half was in training, operational, and uh, support positions. So I ended up as my final assignment and uh, Shepherd Air Force Base in Northern Texas as a group commander uh, training one of our tech school groups. You were going Mach five with your hair on fire, huh? I, I was uh, when I could. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: I always asked this. I did a little bit of Air Force ROTC when I was younger. I hung out with the guys. I never finished the program or anything, but I so I got to hang out with some Air Force guys, and they always like pushing the you know, sound barriers. and uh, did, you, did you ever get to kind of push the sound barrier and break the sound barrier?
0: I did. The fastest I remember recording was uh, Mach two point one in uh, a, a clean what we call a clean f-16 that means essentially nothing on it no tanks no pods just the uh just the f-16 and up very high so
1: all right so give us some war stories
0: <laughs> i well, t-
1: we're talking with uh, maverick from top gun if you don't know <laughs> that's a different branch i know i know but it's dr <laughs> david murphy with ccu give us some fun war stories what, what are some of the uh what are some of the most memorable things you did
0: flying a jet for that many years One of the things that I loved the most was just the joy of flying. I remember flying in Alaska under the northern lights, under night vision goggles. We, we wore night vision goggles at that time in the F-16, and it was the most beautiful natural phenomena you can ever imagine. Almost magical is, is the way to describe it. Really? About 30,000 feet under uh, night vision goggles, and the and the lights were dancing in the sky. It was just amazing. So that was the, the good side. The bad side was after 9-11, you know, so nine eleven happened. Um, I was my wife got a call. She was in the military at the time. We of course were asleep. This is in Alaska time. We were asleep, just kind of getting up for the day. She got a call from a coworker. That said turn on the TV, and we turned on the TV. CNN at that time, and the first tower went down. I said I need to get in the work. Wow. Put on my flight suit and ran out the door, and uh, so I was in like within. 15 minutes and the guys that they brought in they put immediately on alert so the next thing i knew so what had happened of course the attacks were in the east but the pacific still had a lot of airliners over it right okay because they take there's a lot longer legs we had all kind of airliners inbound from asia on the west coast and we did know who might have been who so they immediately put us on air alert They armed us up with live missiles. And because I was one of the first ones there, I was briefed as one of the four ship flight leads. I still remember the group commander coming in and briefing about this. And I asked him, sir, what is the authority for us to have to shoot down a civilian airliner? It was the the hardest question I could have ever asked in my life or the hardest question he could have ever answered. Uh, The gravity was intense. And in fact, our brothers to the south, that would be down at Elmendorf Air Force Base in Anchorage, did have to launch some F-15s against an airliner that was squawking the wrong code. They had to force it to land in Canada. Fortunately, it all ended well, but it was very tense, even on the West Coast, on things most people don't realize, as well as over the capital and on the East Coast and, of course, New York City. An amazing day. Thirty days later, I was in Kuwait flying combat missions over Afghanistan, over many of the countries that we're going to talk about and many of them that are involved in the current situation, which you asked me a little bit earlier about the tension in the Middle East. Right. So I went from, you know, just a peaceful kind of training for more to dropping bombs in Afghanistan. All in the space of a month, of course, as everyone else dealt with the the uh, issues that were associated with nine eleven and all the the disaster that caused.
1: What was your time like there in the Middle East?
0: My time in the Middle East was good in, overall. We we train for war, and. You, when it happens you want to be in it the the odd thing about being a soldier being an airman in my case is we of all people want war less than anyone else but if it starts we want to be in the thick of it mm. so in that sense it was good they were long hard missions they would be scheduled for nine hours keep in mind this is a single seat single engine airplane have to fly all the way down over the Red Sea, uh, all the way across Pakistan into Afghanistan. Of course, we couldn't overfly Iran, as you can imagine. We'd have to do a big circuitous route. We'd have tankers take us there and back. It was a big, complex, tiring mission. They would start as nine, almost always get extended to 12 hours, and sometimes go as long as 16 hours in a single seat airplane. So it was pretty demanding. A lot of boredom for the first two and a half, three hours till you get into, you know, into Afghanistan, and then, uh, as you can imagine, things could get tense, they could be boring, you just never knew what was going to happen.
1: What would be a tense situation?
0: Uh, we would fly a CAP. So a CAP means a combat air patrol. Essentially, as as you guys know, we had a lot of guys on the ground, special ops, doing some pretty amazing things. And almost anyone, everyone has seen the pictures of the combat controllers on the horseback and yeah. just doing some very innovative attacks. Uh, As we were getting forces over there to Afghanistan and building up forces, we had special operations extremely busy. So we were there to support them from the sky. So oftentimes we'd go over there with our bombs and just fly what we called a vol, a a window of usually three hours. Again, it oftentimes got extended to six, sometimes seven or eight hours that we would be on call if they needed us. And if we were called, we had to go in usually under the control of a close air support person. Not always. Sometimes we were just told to bomb certain targets uh, called time sensitive targets that they would send us or we'd have in the airplane. And then we would have to respond to that.
1: Wow. All right. So I think you all could see he's got he's got the credentials to speak into what's happening in the Middle East. You've got an op ed coming out that has to do with negotiations that may take place between Israel and Hamas and whether or not Uh, how America is going to fit into that. Let's talk about where this goes.
0: That's a great question. Thomas Friedman, writing recently in the New York Times, wrote an article called The Biden Doctrine for the Middle East is Forming and It's Big. And he talks about three arms of this doctrine, the first arm being a robust response against the proxies of Iran, The second arm being a two-state solution now. And the third arm being an increase of the presence and the pressure of Saudi Arabia in this whole situation. Interesting article i don 't necessarily disagree with the response part, but I strongly disagree with the two state solution part. Lots of reasons for that, of course, it would require a long history of Palestine and the the area we call Palestine and why the jewish the Jewish claim to the land is legitimate mm-hmm. and so there's that whole side that i'm not going to go into i'm going to assume the listeners understand that argument why the jewish claim to the land is legitimate and the palestinian so-called claim to the land is completely illegitimate Hmm. but the other side of it is the proof is in the pudding what nation in the middle east has arab citizens christian citizens jewish citizens living side by side able to flourish able to build their businesses, become educated, serve in the government? Is that some of the Middle Eastern other Islamic countries? Is that Iran? Is that the UAE? Is that Qatar? Is that Saudi Arabia? Or is that Israel? What nation flourishes freedom, human productivity, and this ability for people to choose their own way Freely. Does that mean everything Israel does is right? Of course not. Of course not. Does that mean that uh, the whole nation supports Netanyahu? We know they don't. We know there's been a lot of tension politically for Netanyahu over the course of the the last year. Okay. But does that mean that we should support them unequivocally? It absolutely does. They need to finish what they started in Gaza, and it needs to not result in a two-state solution. Uh, In effect, we've already tried that. In 2005, they handed over Gaza to the Palestinian Authority, and we know what happened there, the two-state solution— Absolutely didn't work then and it absolutely won't work in the future. So that part of Freeman's article I completely disagree with.
1: Talking with Dr. David Murphy's the Dean of the School of Behavioral and Social Sciences for the College of Adult and Graduate Studies at Colorado Christian University. When we come back, I'm going to ask him questions about, well, okay, if we're not going to embrace a two-state solution, what happens to the Palestinians? And We'll get into kind of details on the future of how all of this is going to deal with Iran, which is the real, you know, 200-pound gorilla in the room that could... You know, gin up a big threat to the United States and the Middle East, and I think many of us don't want to get pulled back into these what seems like endless wars. Friends, you're listening to the Frontier Freedom Hour, sponsored by the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. If you haven't checked out CCU, check out what this institution's doing, over 200 degree options on a whole variety of different things. that could open the next door in your career, right? So Yeah, you may be thinking college is that kind of uh, thing that people go to for four years, uh, that place they go to for four years, and they they live in dorms, all that stuff. Yes, CCU has that for its traditional undergrad, but if you're an adult learner, right, you've got kids, you've got a career, but you're looking for something that's going to open a door for you in your career or pursue a new career. Go to ccu.edu and check out the College of Adult and Graduate Studies where you can get your degree entirely, in most cases, online. So it's around your schedule. You're not going to have to leave your family. You can do this at night and learn from people like Dr. David Murphy. Friends, we're up against a commercial break. We'll continue this conversation when we return. You're listening to the Frontier Freedom Hour, sponsored by the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University.